The new year is coming up on us quickly, and I know that some of you have those goals and dreams that you're wanting to fulfill and reach to be able to start this next year. I want to remind you these coaching sessions are filling up. If you're interested in seeing if this would be a good option for you, head over to unashamedlyyou.com, select the coaching tab, and book your first session for completely free. And we want to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a blessed new year. We cannot wait to see what the start of 2024 holds for you and yours. Hello and welcome to the Unashamedly You podcast a space to enlighten, encourage, and empower you to go out and unashamedly be who God is calling you to be. I am your host, Jamie Herndon. I pray you hear less of me and more of him as you listen to today's episode. Let's grow together. We have a special guest on today that I am so eager to hear from myself. One of my favorite things since starting Unashamedly You has been the connections that it has allowed not only me to make, but the connection it's bringing to all of us in this community. This was started to help bring kingdom-minded women together for encouragement and empowerment to run after their God-given calling. And today's guest is doing just that. She was actually introduced to me from a good friend and a big part of Unashamedly You that I know all of you know, Brittany Scott. She was telling me about her and the big things that this lady is doing for the kingdom of God. And I just could not be more excited for all of you to hear from her and her story today. Jana Jackson, welcome to the Unashamedly You podcast. Take a moment and introduce yourself to all of us. Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to being on your podcast with you today. So thank you so much for your interest in my story and having me on today. So my name is Jana. I am from Arlington, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Memphis. I live with my husband, Clay, and we have three small children. We have twin boys named Jude and Bennett, who just turned five, and a little girl named Ellie, who is 18 months old. So they definitely keep us on our toes. We also have planted a church here in Arlington. So we are four years into a church plant. So we are definitely busy when we're not working at the church or taking care of kids. We like to travel. My favorite thing is drinking coffee and having long talks and conversations with family and friends. I'm looking forward to this podcast today and meeting a new friend and hopefully it won't be a really long conversation (laughs) to bore any of your listeners, but I'm excited about it today. We're excited too. And I have the opposite. So I had two girls first and then we got our boy, but Ezra is five as well. So I know that you're busy with two boys that are five because I have one boy that is five and I am very busy. (laughs) They're definitely different than girls. It's definitely That's the difference for sure. Most boy moms first are like girls are so dramatic and so drama and boys are easier. But I feel like if you had the girls first, I'm like, they are drama, but they're all their dramas contained in a one puddle of tears. And boys are like jumping off the house drama. It's a new drama for like my heart. <laughs> yes, I know. It's almost like the boys act first and they think later. 
So it, it's a lot of like heart stopping moments for sure as a mom. Definitely. But we brought you on here because you've recently published a new book that is available to order right now. And I actually have a copy of it. I am in the middle of, but it's called Shechem, a covenant story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and me. And in this book, you share your story and I'm not even all the way through the book, but I've already been so touched and I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about your story a little. So could you just tell us about your beginning story and how this book actually gets started? Sure. So in the opening chapter of my book, I go into detail and I explain the origin of the story, but basically before I became a mom, I worked in the public school system for about eight years. I taught fourth grade in an elementary school. I was part of an amazing team and we were able to accomplish a lot. So I had enjoyed professional success in the school systems. Um, I had been named even teacher of the year. I had worked with students of all different abilities. I enjoyed the challenge of teaching. I enjoyed the reward of teaching, of seeing children who come into your room and seeing the growth that happens in that year. And I so enjoyed getting to be a part of that. It, it's a demanding career, but it's a very rewarding career because of all of that growth that you see in the students and not just academically, but even personally in them individually. So I enjoyed that career. I had great success. And when I found out that I was pregnant with my twin boys, I left the classroom and became a stay-at-home mom because my desire was to use that teaching skill for my kids. And teaching is something that has always come naturally to me. And I felt like the reason was the Lord gave me that skill. So I was always very diligent to try and use that for him, whether it was in my classroom with my students or if it was in Sunday school. I was very involved in Sunday school and children's ministry at my church. Um, I looked for pretty much any opportunity that I could to serve children, to be involved in teaching and just to impact the lives of children. And so I was confident in that skill, not because I thought I was just such a great teacher. I was confident in it because I knew it came from the Lord. And so I felt that was something that he wanted me to do. So when I was teaching, I felt like I was honoring him and I was living out my purpose. And so that is what gave me the confidence, not necessarily in, in my ability, but feeling like I was living out my purpose. So when I became a mom and I left the classroom, the secular classroom, and I became a stay-at-home mom. I brought kind of those same expectations of being a teacher to my parenting. When I first became a mom, I worried about how I would handle different aspects of motherhood. I wasn't totally naive. I knew when I became a mom, there would be challenges that I would have to face that I wouldn't be prepared for. And you mentioned being a boy mom and the fear that happens naturally when they do things. And I thought about that. I thought, how will I handle if they're injured and having to take them to the ER? I thought that was inevitable, right? Twin boys. I wondered about how I would give them opportunities when they were young, but still protect their innocence. And then when they got older and they started making choices on their own, how would I, as the mom, guide them and, and handle those, those decisions with or those moments when they made choices that were outside of my control. So I had all of those, I guess you would call them normal 
parenting fears or worries. But when it came to teaching my children, I did not bring those same worries. I only had confidence because again, the Lord had given me this ability, right? So he wouldn't let me fail. Surely I would be able to teach my kids and whatever challenges that they had academically, then I would be able to teach them and help them. So I had all of these expectations. And when I started my journey of motherhood, our boys were born, they were preemies. So they had to spend the first several days of their life in the NICU. But once they were home and we got in our rhythm and they started growing and developing, it wasn't until Bennett was about 10 months old, Bennett's our younger twin, that he started showing signs of a developmental delay. And it wasn't a huge concern at first because he was a premature infant and had to spend so many days in the NICU. So it was something that our doctors just wanted us to watch. So we started enrolling him in therapy just as a precaution, as a tool to just help him get caught up. And so we enrolled him first of all in physical therapy, because that is the area that his developmental delay showed up first. Um, he wasn't able to sit up and support himself. His brother was. So we started there. And as time went on and he spent more time in therapy, his physical development continued to lag significantly behind his brother. And then he started developing some other significant sensory issues. He started to develop some stereotypical behaviors of someone who has autism. And so he had a lot of individual red flags. When you put them all together, each of these conditions, it was a big red flag. So we started to increase his therapy again, just as a precaution. We expanded from physical therapy to occupational therapy and then speech therapy. There were also communication issues as well. So we had three different therapists in addition to a pediatrician who were helping us to work with Bennett. And this was all during COVID. So the clinics where we had been meeting with Bennett were closed. And so the therapists were coming to our home. So they were coming into our home and working with Bennett. So that in itself even made it seem a lot more personal and, and invasive, I guess, than just a clinical situation. Anyway, so when all of this started to happen, the therapist one day mentioned to me that Bennett was teetering between a normal development and a cognitive delay. And for some reason, just that mental image of my child teetering between normal development and, and a cognitive delay, it really affected me. So I obsessed over it and I set goals for Ben and every interaction with him had a goal. And I almost drove myself crazy. My obsessions with his development and my ability as a teacher to help him. And basically one day the therapist confirmed to me that my efforts to help him had failed, that he was not making enough adequate progress. And so in that moment, I just had a crisis realizing that my teaching ability 
was inadequate to help my child. And it was in that moment where I just went to the Lord in confusion and in hurt and disappointment. And the Lord helped me to see that my faith and my own abilities to help him, my own teaching skills, my own resources, that my faith was misplaced. And rather than putting my faith in my own skills and ability, I needed to have my faith in a God who would sustain me and who would be with me and would be within it. And so in that moment of crisis, basically, I just, I realized I had no hope and peace and joy and all of the things that were supposed to come from my relationship with God, I had directly attached to the outcome of Bennett's situation. And I thought the only way that I could have those things, hope and peace and joy in the future, is if the Lord removed this trial and answered my prayer. And so I realized that if the Lord did not answer that prayer, I, I could not go on this way. And I could not be the best version of myself. I could not be the mom that I needed to be for my children. If I did not have these things, if the Lord did not help me. And so I asked the Lord in prayer, I asked him to help me, to fix me, to get me to where I needed to be, to correct my flawed theology. And so through prayer and Bible reading, I selected a time and place to meet with the Lord. And through that time of, of reading the word, he directed me to a place in scripture called Shechem, which is the title of the book. And what I found in my study of Shechem is each encounter in the Bible of Shechem revealed an aspect of our covenant relationship with the Lord that is vital to our relationship with him. And so that's what this book is really about. It, it's my journey through Shechem and my discovery of what this covenant with God really is and the value of it and how that is reflected in my journey, my personal journey with Bennett. So it's not just spiritual truth from the Bible, but it's also practical application of how I have lived each of those truths out in my journey with Bennett and how the Lord has proven his faithfulness to me and how this covenant really is my security and my foundation in my journey with the Lord. Something that I had read in the book, and then you just mentioned it as well. It stopped me whenever I read it. And it says, I realized that my life's foundation was shaken due to my flawed theology. That is such a deep thought because like you were talking about, we have these expectations and every fear that you had about motherhood, the only part that you had confidence in you're saying is the part that God went and said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the rug out from underneath you per se. And it feels like that sometimes that's how God can get a hold of us. That's how that he can speak to us. So many times is through the things that we have confidence in ourselves. Oh, I've got this part, God, I need help with all these things, but this part, you've already given me this, you've given me the skill, you've given the help and I'm confident in that. And then God says, Oh, but there's more there. You can grow more. So talk a little bit about that thought. So when I, I referenced that in my book that, you know, the foundation of my life was shaken and the foundation of our, all of our lives should be our faith in God, right? Because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We enter this covenant with the Lord through faith. But faith is not just, oh, I believe that God can. I believe in his power. I believe in him. I have faith in him. An aspect of faith is also an unshakable confidence and, and a trust in him that, yes, he has all power, but even if he does not answer my prayer the way that I want, I still have faith and confidence in him to sustain me, that my life is going to be okay if I have that trust in him. And that's the part of faith that I realized, or my faith that was shaken. I believed in God. I had faith in him and in his word. I had experiences with the Lord in the past where he had answered my prayers and where he had not answered my prayers, but had seen me through. And so I knew that I had that faith in him, but it was the trust element that I discovered was shaken because I discovered trusting God with your children is a whole different ballgame than trusting him for yourself. Because it's not that God cannot handle it. He made the whole world without my help. I'm sure he can take care of my children without that. But it, it's knowing that God does not always shield us from pain and hurt by taking us down the path of least resistance. And as a mother or a parent, that is your heartbeat, your nature. You want to protect your children from harm and from danger. All of the goals and desires and prayers that I was praying for my child, I made the mistake of believing that everything that I wanted for my children, that God had those same goals and those same intentions towards them that I did. And so I started to take everything that I knew of the Lord and attach it to the outcome of Bennett's situation. For instance, if God is good, then he will answer this prayer. If God is faithful, he will reward my faithfulness by healing Bennett. If he's a healer, he will heal Bennett. And so I took those aspects of God and I applied them to the outcome of this one situation. And while all of those things that are part of God's nature, I had a, allowed to attach to the outcome of Bennett's situation instead of coming from my relationship with God. And so that is the part that I needed the Lord to work in me about. So I asked him to help me fix that part of my faith, that trust. And I knew that it was my fault, my theology. No one had told me those things. I had just allowed my own feelings and my own beliefs to skew what the Bible says about the nature and the heartbeat of God. And so I wanted to get to know him as he is expressed through his word, not just how he is expressed through my feelings or through my own thought process, but how he is expressed through his word. And that's what he did. And that the book is a result of that. I think you're speaking for every mom, every parent, whenever you say it's easy to have faith for ourselves, but trusting God with your children becomes a whole different level of trust than trusting him for yourself. I know every mom has went through that with just any situation that goes on. Sometimes you'll think of different scenarios or different things that are going. And I always have to look back and think, Lord, I know that you're taking care of them. I know that you love them. I know you're a good father. Anytime your kids go through anything at all that you want to fix and you want to be able to just have a fix for it immediately. Um, and when you can't and you have to trust that God has a plan 
and that he knows what's best for our kids. Even whenever we don't know, we think we do. We have an idea of what's the best, but he really knows what's the best. Yes, he does. And thinking about how I got to the, the place that I did, I want to be careful that I don't necessarily put blame on the church, but so much of our theology is communicated through the songs that we sing, through the words that we speak. And so much of our church experiences, the faithfulness of God and believing for the promises of God and speaking faith and deliverance and healing and all of those, again, are aspects of the nature of God. And those are promises that are are for us today. So it, none of that is wrong, but there has to be an assurance in all of that, that even if the Lord does not answer our prayers and grant us the deliverance that we want in the way that we want, that our faith is still remaining, our, our confidence is in him. And sometimes it's almost as if we take out the suffering part of living for God. We don't emphasize that enough. And we view faith as getting the answer that you want in prayer. If we have faith in God, we'll respond with an answered prayer. But faith is not just, again, believing for something. Faith is an active part of our life that, okay, God, even if you say no, I'm still going to continue to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I am going to double down on my commitment to you, to your word, and to trust that you will be enough. And sometimes we don't consider that suffering or disappointment in the life of a Christian can be something that God uses to bring his will and his purpose to pass in our life or through us. And I think that's something important too, that I had to reconcile in myself. So good. There's so much to be said about that. Having faith in God and trust in God. I was talking to a friend recently and she's like, you know, I feel so much better. Like I know God is working. I know he can. And I'm like, yeah, you know, because you went through that space of time where you didn't know, you didn't know how it was going to work out. You didn't know what he was going to do. You didn't know what God was up to, but you kept coming. You stayed faithful. You kept praying. You kept trusting and believing that whatever he was doing in this time and in this space, that he was making all things right. And he was going to do it in the way that was going to turn out beautiful. Even if it wasn't going the way you wanted it to, he still had a plan and you trusted that he did even when you didn't see it. So now it's easy to say, I'm so glad this happened, but whenever it's happening, it's not always easy to do that. But whenever you stay faithful and you trust the hand of God, that he's a faithful God and that whatever he's doing in our lives We have to trust him anyways. It's a lot easier whenever the testimony has been written and whenever you're going back on it than whenever you're going through it in that moment. It's so true. The chapter on Joseph is that very thing. When we read the story of Joseph, we have the benefit of knowing the end. So we know where the Lord is taking Joseph. And it's easy for us to read that story with hope because we know the end. But Joseph was living that out and he did not have that assurance. He did not see the end and he did not have evidence or physical, tangible evidence of God's purpose. If you read his story only twice, does Joseph verbally acknowledge that what he was going through, God was using for his good. And he did not have that until the end of the story. Just like you said, it was at the end that he was able to look back 
and see how God's purpose was accomplished through him. And if he had not remained faithful to what he knew, just like you were describing during that time of uncertainty and hurt, then he would not have, have had that moment of clarity and his family would not have been saved because of that. Oh, good. So the book title is Shechem, a covenant story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and me. Will you share a little bit more on how that you come up with this title and what it means? Sure. Like I said in the beginning, each chapter of this book contains an encounter of a character in the Bible in the geographical location of Shechem. Now, first of all, the fact that I even came across this location and was fascinated by it is a miracle in and of itself because geography is not my strong suit. When I'm driving, I pay attention. If I'm riding in a car, I'm paying attention to my snacks or my kids or the music. And so when I read the Bible, I tend to do the same thing. When I come across a location in scripture, I note it mentally, but then I just continue to read. But for some reason, the day I started my Bible study, this location just stuck out in my mind. And it was the story of Abraham. It was the very first mention of Shechem in the scriptures. And it's where Abraham went to build an altar in the promised land in response to God calling him into this covenant. Shechem is where Abraham initially made his commitment to the Lord. And so from there, I just began a study of this location. And I found that every other character in the Bible who interacted in Shechem, that there is a direct correlation between an aspect of our new covenant with the Lord and the old covenant. And so I detail that in, in each chapter. And then what I discovered as I was studying the scripture, I started to write about it because it helps me to process my thoughts. So I just started writing what I was learning about our covenant and about these scriptural principles. And what I noticed, I didn't set out to start writing a book. I just wanted to write to process. But what I noticed was as I would write, something would happen in my personal life within a few days where I would have to live out the scriptural principle that I was writing about from the Bible. And the first couple of times that happened, I just thought, okay, this is, you know, odd, but I just kept on. And finally I shared with my husband, I said, honey, I said, I'm scared to keep writing. He said, because when I write something, you know, I have an opportunity in my life, usually with Bennett to live out this principle that I'm living about, I'm writing about like surrender and submission and trust and being patient and waiting on the Lord. So that's basically the origin of this book. Each chapter has scriptural principle and then it has my journey within it. And so that I ended up including my journey in the story throughout the book as the application process. I had originally intended just to share a little part of my story at the end. I didn't intend to be this vulnerable and go into this much detail. But as I started writing my story, it just became apparent that I needed to include my story because what I was reading about in the Bible, these are not just principles that helped men and women 2000 years ago or before, even before then. 
These are principles and these are truths about the nature of God and about this covenant that we have with him that are unshakable and they stand the test of time. And it's not just something that I can draw comfort from thinking about, oh, God helped Abraham. Oh, he helped Isaac and Jacob years ago. But the same way that he helped them and the same confidence that they developed in his word and in this covenant is the same confidence and the same assistance that the Lord has given to me. And so that's why I chose to include my story with it, not because I am a great patriarch of the faith or, or matriarch of the faith as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because I have experienced the same covenantal promises and blessings and as a result, an unshakable faith and trust and confidence in the same God that they served. And that's what I want to share with the readers that no matter where you find yourself and your journey may be different than mine with Bennett, but each of us, whether we are a mom or a, a single lady trying to discover her purpose and her identity and where she fits in the kingdom of God, no matter where we are in our journey with the Lord, we all have opportunities that we have to question our faith and to question the value of this covenant and, and its purpose. And I hope that through this book that you will take your situation and find yourself in the stories and in the stories in the Bible and the word of God, and that you will come away finding these same truths for yourself and for your family, and that this covenant will be your unshakable foundation in, in those times of trials. I love that you said, whenever you read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we look at those stories and sometimes we think he did it for them or he did it then, but he's doing it now. Yes. We hear all the time about he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But do we really believe that? Are we really reading these stories and applying them to our own lives saying, God, you did it then and you're doing it now. You've moved then and you're moving now. I trust you. Even if I am like you were talking about with Joseph, even if I'm in the dungeon, even if I'm in the prison, even if these things are coming against me or things are being said about me that are untrue. There's all these things in life that comes against us and we feel like it's the end of the world, but there's really a story where God has already met that need. He's already answered and he's telling us, I can do it. I'm able to meet your need and right where you are as well. Yes. So I love that you wrote this story because I know Someone else may be listening to this and they know that God's laid it on their heart to write a story. I've heard many women say before, men and women say that I have a story or I would love to write a book. I would love to write this down. I would love to write a journal, a, a Bible study. There's all these things that they would love to write or they feel a calling to write, but they're not really sure where to begin and they just keep putting it off. But they may be listening to this saying, you know what? I have a story that I need to share. God has done something for me and in my life, or he's shown me something that may would be a help to someone else. What is some advice that you could give them? I've only written one book. So my advice may not be as significant as someone who's written more. I only have one uh, limited experience, but I did not set out to write a book at first. I just started writing what I felt like the Lord was showing me in, in scripture because writing helped me to process that. But as I started writing and as I started seeing all of these connections through Shechem, at first I thought this would be a great lesson 
as a teacher, I guess that's where my mind went. So I thought I can just compile this into a lesson. And then from there, I, I realized this is, this could be a book. This is more than just one single lesson. I just started writing during my study time. And then I would try to set time aside to work on it once I decided to make it a book. Um, but with children, it's kind of hard to always make that time happen. And before I always thought authors would, they had these writing retreats or they had a, a room or a, a house where they went and they were completely uninterrupted and they had only things that surrounding them that would inspire them. And maybe some authors do, but there, there was no way I could do that. So I just had to create that myself. So I would either write when my kids were napping or I would write in the middle of them living life. I just had to create that for myself. So first of all, like there's never going to be a perfect moment or a perfect place to write. You just have to create that yourself and just realize that's probably an, an illusion, like a writing retreat possibly is an illusion. So you just have to find moments when you can in your life to, to write and make it work. And then I was just intentional about each month, I would set a goal to like work on one chapter. So I would, instead of setting minute to minute goals, I can't do that for myself because my kids interrupt it. So I would just set like a monthly goal of working on a chapter. And then I would just be intentional about devoting time throughout the month to work on that. So I would say just persistence and just writing what you have at the moment. Whenever I would study and the Lord would reveal something, I would be intentional about writing that down and just staying persistent with it. I love that you said you were intentional. Your calling is never going to be convenient. And I think that we don't realize that when we think about our purpose or our calling and God is asking us to do something, it's not going to be a convenience thing. <laughs> it's not ever going to be convenient for you to pray. It's not ever going to be convenient for you to help with this or with that or whatever God's asking of you. It's never going to be convenient. So writing a book or if the Lord's laying something like that on your heart, waiting, like you said, till this perfect time and all the sun, moon and stars align and you just get to sit down and in five hours, you're done and here you go publishing. But when you're intentional about something that God has laid on your heart to do and you say, God, I am going to do this. I'm getting this done. I'm going to set time aside to spend time with you, to spend time doing what you're asking of me. I'm going to make sure that I'm intentional with it. It's not going to be convenient for you, but whenever you want his purpose and you're wanting to fulfill his calling on your life, whenever you're intentional with it and you make time for it, he'll make it easy during those times. He'll provide the thoughts and he'll provide what you need, but it's not going to be convenient. So if you're just waiting for the time to fall from the sky, it's not coming. <laughs> right. And I actually have two other things I thought of, if that's okay to add. One of them is prayer because this book was not something that just came from my own head. And I wanted this to be, I wanted the Lord to speak through this project. I wanted to paint as accurate of a picture of his nature and his character and his promises from his word. Intentional about setting time aside is good, but also being intentional about praying and studying to make sure that 
what I'm saying is from him and not from me. And then the second thing is there was a lady who is a mentor of mine. Her name is Sister Carla DePriest. I hope she's okay with me sharing her name uh, on this podcast, but I value her voice in my life and her walk with the Lord. And so when I began this project, I started sharing parts of my writing with her, sharing my story with her, and she served as a voice of encouragement and support and prayer. She prayed for the project. She prayed for me. She gave me feedback from my work, theological feedback, and just encouragement, support, feedback from someone whose voice mattered in my life. And so I think that's something that would be good as well. If you're looking to start a project, find someone whose voice matters, whose walk with God you admire and lean on them for support and for encouragement and for feedback, because that helped me in times when I would be discouraged, her support, encouragement, and prayers definitely helped to help guide this project and help me. So that's something else that would be a good resource to have. Amazing advice. That's so good. And that's with anything. Like she said, anything that you're doing, praying, seeking God, his guidance, and, and then finding someone. I think one thing I'd like to add there is don't always just find a friend or someone that is going to pat you on the back or someone that may discourage you. Like she said, find someone that is praying. You admire their prayer life. You admire their walk with God. You know that they're seeking God, his direction, and they're not either just going to one, pat you on the back or two, <laughs> bring discouragement in this, but they're going to answer you with prayerful answers. They're going to help you pray and they're going to give you godly guidance. Yes. Yes. That you're looking for. So this has been absolutely amazing, Jan. I am so grateful that we got a chance to talk with you and to get you on the podcast. What is one last thing that you would leave for the unashamedly you community? I would say that my hope for each of you listeners is that wherever you find yourself in your journey with the Lord, that this relationship with him that is based on the truth of his word that will be your security and your anchor in life and that you walk in this truth and you walk in this covenant because there is a beauty and there is a joy and a peace that comes only from him and only from living a life that's is anchored in this truth and i just hope that you all find that and walk in it because it is a wonderful thing and it really is our only hope and our only security in life. This has been so good getting to talk with you and you sharing so much of your story and of your journey. I am absolutely honored that you would be on the podcast today, but I know a lot of our listeners are wanting to go and grab this book. You guys, it is not a very long book, a pretty quick read, just a hundred and something pages, but it is so good packed with so many amazing things. And it's got a story in it, which I absolutely love. I know that so many of you will be interested in this. So where can they find the book to grab it? So my book is available on our website. It's www.playandjana.com. And I will be offering all of the Unashamedly You listeners a code for free shipping if you order. So if you order the book, you can use the code UYSHIPPING, and that will give you free shipping. Also, there is a Kindle version of the book available that can be downloaded on Amazon as well. 
Awesome. So you guys use the code UYSHIPPING on clayandjana.com. We'll also post these things so that you can find it easily or hop on Amazon and grab the Kindle version. Jana, thank you so much again. I know you are a busy mom and we're just grateful that you hopped on the Unashamedly You podcast and shared so many things. There's so many nuggets that we've got today. It was so good. Thank you again for being on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. We want to thank you for listening to another episode on the Unashamedly You podcast. We would be delighted if you would leave us a review and let us know how a podcast has helped or encouraged you. Your reviews and comments mean the world, and we pray that you find the encouragement you need week after week with each episode. Go be Unashamedly You. Unashamedly You.